Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 219. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Well, spring break is over. And I made it out of Florida in a week of storms and flooding in one piece. I survived being in the water with a bull shark. And I came home with a cold, as you can probably hear, thanks to Santis. But April is now blooming. The leaves on the trees are back, and as the flowers finally emerge, this spring is still very much a time to stay vigilant. I'm still brand new to Congress. I've only been there 100 days. And I don't know if I'm not supposed to say this out loud, but it's true and important, and if you don't know this, you need to. It's really clear from working there for just a few months that most of the really angry voices in Congress are totally faking it. These people who have built their brands around being perpetually outraged, it's an act. I've seen a bunch of examples. Here's one. I've been in committee meetings that are open to the press and committee meetings that are closed. The same people who act like maniacs during the open meetings are suddenly calm and rational during the closed ones. Why? Because there aren't any cameras in the closed meetings, so their incentives are different. What I've seen is that members of Congress are surrounded by negative incentives. There are rewards for bad behavior. You know what the big one is? Being able to reach you. The big thing that modern media and modern politicians have learned is that if they can keep you angry, they'll hold your attention. And they both want your attention. So if you're a politician and you show certain media outlets that you can help them keep their audience angry, They'll give you their audience. And because so many politicians are willing to play that game, now they're in competition with each other to see how fake angry they can be. So that's real bad. But here's something good. What I love about this, about communicating with you directly, is that the incentives are different. They can be positive. They can be about speaking to you with respect and real information and in a normal tone of voice. Because if I can talk to you directly, I don't have to yell. And if you don't have to yell to be heard, the whole conversation changes. But spring is also a time to be hopeful. And isn't that refreshing? That's North Carolina freshman Congressman Jeff Jackson. He's a Democrat. He's an Army Afghanistan veteran who still serves in the National Guard as a JAG, and he's a father of three. And before this video, Jackson was famous most of all for being the only state legislator to show up for work on a snow day back in February 2015. But this new video has launched him into the headlines with over 6 million views on Twitter alone, which is roughly 12 times the 443,000 viewers that Tucker Carlson averages each night on Fox, which may actually be a sign of hope this spring. Because as we've often said on this show, hope is the oxygen of democracy. And for our democracy to grow and stay healthy this spring, We could all use some more hope. And spring is always a time of hope. And we're going to need it now more than ever. Because this spring, stakes is still high. As spring springs, the stakes are still very, very high. 
And as the weather warms all across America, there's no shortage of heat around the country and around the world. The battle for Bakhmud in Ukraine rages on. But there's some hope as American Patriot missiles and Abram tanks are on the way. Mass shootings continue and are now complemented by what I'm going to start to call angry, crazy person shootings. As an 84-year-old white man shot a black teenager who knocked on his front door in Kansas City by accident. Andrew Lester shot 16-year-old Ralph Yari, who is recovering right now at home after being released in the hospital after Lester shot him in the head. Ralph Yari was looking to pick up his siblings and just simply knocked on the wrong door, and he got shot in the head. In the same week, a New York man shot and killed a 20-year-old woman who pulled into the wrong driveway. Mass shootings have become our new normal in America. And angry, crazy person shootings may be about to join them. With this many angry and scared people with guns in America, this might be just the start of a new wave that undoubtedly has our enemies celebrating this spring. Meanwhile, with an open trial just minutes away from opening statements, Fox and Dominion Voting Systems reached a $787 million settlement agreement, which may be most newsworthy only because there won't be a trial with months and months of juicy news telling us all what we already know. Fox is not news, and Fox lies. And this settlement frees up Fox just in time to reconcile with its favorite evil mistress, Donald Trump. And it's just in time for a new Fox News poll that shows former President Mayhem is widening his lead over Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in a hypothetical GOP primary race. Trump was the top pick for 54%, and DeSantis, who still hasn't formally declared, was at 24%, which is a drop from 28% in a Fox poll conducted last month. So spring is off to a good start for Trump, as his first indictment looks like the manure that helps the weeds of his movement continue to blossom and grow. And on the other side, in the Rose Garden of the White House, which is always quite glorious this time of year, there was some good news. The president signed an executive order that included more than 50 directives to nearly every cabinet-level agency to expand access to affordable, high-quality care and provide support for care workers and family caregivers. So it was a historic spring day for caregivers of all kinds, and especially for those who care for troops and vets. It was a good move by Biden. And this happened in part thanks to the tremendous leadership from an early guest on this show, Ajen Poo, and by so many other advocates. Ajen and others planted the seeds of this moment decades ago. And now, this spring, they are in full bloom and will change and save countless lives. And so as temperatures continue to rise this spring, it's also a hot time for sports. After a great Masters, where thankfully, the live-supporting and human rights-violating acceptors Brooks Kopka and Phil Mickelson lost to the success story that is John Rahm. And there's more, with baseball in fun full swing, Formula One back in Miami next month, and the NHL and NBA playoffs blasting out excitement almost every night. Spring is a time of growth, and a time of hope, and a time of optimism. 
And despite all this shit over the last few months and the shit that we continue to see every day, there are still signs of hope out there if you look for them. And that includes within our independent movement. This was a week where we saw just how massive and strong the full bloom of the independent movement can be. A new Gallup poll revealed that a record number of Americans say they're politically independent. A record 49% of Americans see themselves as politically independent. That's the same as the two major parties put together. So the biggest and most dominant political affiliation this spring in America isn't Democrat or Republican. It's none of the above. The two parties are failing and losing strength, and the future is independent. Gallup analyst Jeff Jones says there's a big reason for this change, and it's driven by younger voters. He said, quote, It was never unusual for younger voters to have a higher percentage of independence than older adults. What is unusual is that as Gen X and millennials get older, they're staying independent rather than picking a party, as older generations tended to do. So the future is more diverse, it's obviously younger, and it's independent. And it's not just young people. It's all kinds of people. It's Latinos, it's veterans, it's workers, it's all Americans. Jones also pointed to a megatrend that's key to understanding the true power of our potential as independents. He said, quote, the disillusionment with the political system, U.S. institutions, and the two parties, which are seen as ineffectual, too political, and too extreme. This polling is confirming what we already know. The system is broken, and we see it, and we're demanding better. And Axios highlighted a fun fact to consider. In every election since 2004, except for 2012, we've seen the White House, Senate, or House flip control, and antsy, unsatisfied, independent voters are the reason. This spring, more and more Americans are declaring their independence, and now, as spring fully emerges, we're number one. And in this episode, we've got the perfect guest to help us understand it all better, and to understand what's next, and why this is not a fluke but why independents are going to be number one for a long time, and maybe forever. It's a guy who's a key leader in our independent movement, a wise and trusted elder, and a guy who I think understands independence better than anyone. He's like a vigilant farmer for our future. He's been laying seeds of hope and change for decades, and this spring, he's helping us all understand why America is reaping a bit of a harvest. He's a guardian of our crops, our land, and our future. And he's a big reason why we're number one now. He's our friend, John Opdyke. Who you talking about running your mouth like you know me? You gon' fuck around and chill. Why the show me get caught and show me? Why one on one you can't hold me? If your last name was Hayden, only way you worry me out is stitch my name on your pants. No resident of France, but you swear I'm from Paris. Hundred six carats. John Updike is a very smart man who will give you hope for the future this spring. He's the president of Open Primaries, a nonprofit focused on a movement of diverse Americans who believe in a simple yet radical idea. 
no Americans should be required to join a political party to exercise their right to vote. He's kind of like the independent whisperer. And after joining us almost a year ago in episode 171, he's back to help us break it down, to understand why our movement is blossoming this spring, and to help us understand who independents are, who they aren't, or why we're number one now. Welcome to the tipping point for our independent movement. Welcome to a time where hope is actually beginning to blossom. Welcome to spring, the time when independence finally hit number one. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 219. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, we are back from spring break and we're hitting it hard and we are coming back with the core of what this show is all about, the independent movement. And I can think of no better guest to bring back on the program to give us a sense of this evolving, growing, chaotic, exciting landscape as we go into spring. There are many things blooming, but I think the independent movement may be one of the most exciting of all. Rejoining us finally on the show is the great and powerful John Updike. Welcome back to Independent Americans, my friend. Great and powerful. Wow. That's a lot to live up to, Paul. It's great. It's great to see you again. Well, greater and more powerful because we spoke okay. We spoke a year ago. I'll uh, try not to disappoint. Yeah, it was, it was May of last year that you came on the show. You and I talk a lot. We work together yep. on stuff a lot, but we haven't talked on my show in almost a year. And I really wanted to do you know a check-in on the landscape because it's, it's an exciting time for independence and an exciting time to be around it. But it's also a conversation I think you and I can take up a couple notches. And that's what I'm yeah. hoping we can do today like we always yeah. do. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I know we want to talk about the new Gallup poll. And I think that in some ways what I'm what I'm really urging in all the conversations I'm having is that don't let numerical growth let you get cocky. Mm. Because the amount of pushback, the amount of um, coercion that's going on politically that's targeting independence is very significant and we cannot underestimate it. Mm, I, I am so glad you brought that up. I want to get to that. Let me take it back to where we always start. Um, you've been in the fight. You're always in the fight. Where are you and how are you? I'm good. I just moved to Chicago um, and uh, been here for two weeks and getting our house set up, my partner Kathy and I, and you know, moving is a, is a piece of work, but it's, it's all going well. And we're in a beautiful neighborhood in Chicago, right by the lake. So I'm very happy about that. And um, I'm doing well. You know, I had knee surgery a couple months ago, and the, the rehab's been slow, but going well. Uh, and overall, you know, healthy, happy, and, and just really excited to be, you know, leading open primaries, which is really accelerating around the country. Your your dedication is is constant, and I think the night before you got knee surgery, we were at an event uh, for Final yeah. Five NYC with Sal Albanese and Andrew Yang and some yeah. others. Then you went under the knife the next day, 
you didn't really miss a beat. You've been back at it. I'm glad you're in Chicago because Chicago in like May and June, I think, is one of the best places in America, right? Um, let's start with that Gallup poll. And, and I don't think it's gotten a lot of coverage outside of a couple of places, but the new poll says 49% of Americans are now considering themselves independent, 49% of Americans who were polled. And I want you to help us understand why polling may have strengths and weaknesses, but that's up from 44% last month, 40 in January, as low as 35 in last October. So it kind of bounces around. But I think the significant number is that 49% of Americans in this poll who were polled call themselves independent, which is basically uh, larger than the amount who call themselves Democrats or Republicans, or it's close, right? So yeah. so tell me what you take away from this new poll and maybe what we can take away from what's not being polled, what's missing from these snapshots that Gallup and others are, are looking at. Sure. Well, two things. One, the pollsters are remarkably uncurious about why people are independents. They just don't ask them. They just say Democrat, Republican, independent. If you say independent, they just move on and ask you a whole series of questions. I think it would be, and, and frankly, I'm waiting for the, the smart, intelligent pollsters to say, you know what? This thing has been trending upwards for decades. Let's dig in. Let's deep dive. Let's really find out what's driving the rise of independence. They're, they're not doing that yet. But what's happening is that, so, so that, that Gallup poll came out, what, 48 hours ago, 72 hours ago? Within 24 hours, there was a 1500 word deep dive analysis in the Washington Post by Philip Bump, in which he says, I, I found this so astounding that that number is a complete lie and fabrication. In fact, there are less independents today than there were in 1950. When 20% of Americans said, I'm an independent, now 49% say they're independent. By his logic, that, uh, that means there are fewer independents. And here's how he gets there. And it's a piece of, of sleight of hand that I, I actually have deep respect for because it's so diabolical. <laughs> what he does is say, okay, so there's all these people that call themselves independents, but they're not all that independent. Most of them are attached lightly to the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. And the, the, the number of true independents is actually only about five, seven, eight percent of the population, which is lower than it was in 1950. So they basically, the, these, these pundits, they feel completely comfortable saying to someone, a voter who gets a poll at home and says, are you a Democrat, Republican or independent? they say, I'm an independent. They completely say, oh, you're not an actual independent unless you can prove that you only vote for third party candidates. If you don't vote uh, for uh, third party candidates every election, you're not a true independent. Therefore, you're a Democrat light or Republican light. It is to reduce being an independent to who you vote for in November is a, uh, a fallacy of monumental proportions. Being an independent is much 
more than just who you vote for on election day. It's a cultural statement. It's a political statement. It's an attitudinal statement. And yet they will not investigate it. They will not legitimize it. And that's a big problem for the independent movement because we are we are still related to as if we do not exist. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to dig deeper into how that's panning out because I also see a lack of uh, identifiable leadership in the independent movement, right? So in the past, we've talked about this before, about how independents are often identified by whoever was the most high-profile person to last call themselves an independent. But I saw Andrew Yang on with Chris Cuomo, and he, you know, they, they like to use this ice cream analogy where they say, well, it's like vanilla and chocolate, and people want strawberry. And I'm like, I heard that and I was like, no, it's like rum raisin and pistachio. And it's the only option in the store for a bunch of people who are lactose intolerant, who like yogurt, who want sorbet, who want ice pops. Like the country wants a lot more than they have the options for. And I think these polls have reduced it to when you are presented with two shitty options, which one would you choose rather than digging deeper into who they really are? And I'm glad you're bringing out that point about how it's attitudinal, because I continue to say they're not just looking for a third party. They're looking for other options, right? And they don't wanna, I don't think, um, find an alternative to the two parties that is necessarily another party. They want to be independent. Many of them don't want to join any party and want to be able to have an a la carte series of options and who they vote for. Um, And I think you've been great about identifying places where we see that happening. So can you shift to the landscape and whether it's Maine or Alaska, where do you see a place or places that show us maybe better than this poll who independents really are? Well, let me let me just let me just dig a little deeper into the analogies you gave because I think this will help the viewers and listeners kind of process this a little better. In some ways, you Andrew Cuomo, I mean Andrew Yang and, and Chris Cuomo gave a an example of ice cream in terms of choices. And you gave, I, I think, a more nuanced example, but they're both similar in that you're basically talking about independence as consumers mm. who want more choices. But see, I actually think if you're going to have any understanding of independence, there there is this thing going on in America where people are saying, where independents are saying, I can't just be a consumer. I can't just, which am I going to pick? I have to find a way to get involved in creating some new ways of doing politics in this country because the way we're doing it now is literally killing our country. And that's making that shift from being a consumer of prepackaged choices, even if they're good choices, to being a creator of new forms of political life is an incredibly difficult transition. Mm. It is, there is so much that goes up against that capacity. There is so much energy spent by the Democrats and Republicans to telling us, the American people, the people that made a revolution 250 years ago, the people that drove the creation of the first citizen-led democracy in uh, you know modern era, you don't need to create anything. We got right. this. Right. We got this. Your job is just to show up and pick strawberry or vanilla. And I think that we have to go beyond simply saying, well, look, strawberry and vanilla is not enough. We need some other choices. We need to say, no, 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 no. 
It's not that we need other choices. We need to mobilize the American people to create other forms of political life that are not controlled, that are not prepackaged for us. And that's so hard. I mean, it is so difficult. But but we are seeing some progress there, right? And I think oh, that's yeah. where open primaries and your work, I've called you before kind of the godfather of the independent movement or the reform movement. I think you're 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 one of the smartest, most tireless people. You've got integrity, people know you're you're a real independent and you know this shit better than anybody. You're not somebody who just joined this because it's hot or interesting. But can you talk about the landscape as you see it? I look at it almost like a battlefield. We've had folks like Admiral Stravides to talk about the global landscape. I've had people come out and talk about the economic landscape. But when you look at the independent uh, map, right, when you see Pennsylvania, Tennessee, South, you're in all these fights and you're kind of in a war room in open primaries. Sometimes you're on the offense, sometimes you're on the defense. Where are a couple of places that you've seen significant wins or losses or fights? Well, it's there's a huge amount of activity. I, I think of it as guerrilla activity. Mm. You know, we're sniping at the British from the from the forest. We're not facing them in battle. We're not winning big battles. We're kind of positioning ourselves and there's a growing movement that is and it it rears its head in interesting ways. Um, like Kansas, where the, the Republican legislature said, oh, Roe v. Wade overturned. We're going to put this anti-abortion referendum on the ballot. We're going to win it because this is a Republican state. And the voters surprised everybody, including the Democrats. They, 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 they basically um, found a way to say, we're not going along with your political script. Now, that's just a tiny little thing. Did it create much power? Not much, because everyone is still constrained in this two-party system. But I, I, I experience it in, and you're not going to like this. I actually think Obama and Trump, in a weird way, in a weird way, together, and most people wouldn't put Obama and Trump together, they gave, they gave some expression to this desire for something other than cookie cutter, other than purely partisan warriors, people that were finding way. Now, I, I could talk for seven hours about how I think Trump opportunized off that and did his own thing, which was nihilistic and ridiculous. I think there's ways to talk about Obama in which he ran as an independent and governed as a Democrat and made all kinds of mistakes. But that doesn't negate the millions of Americans who voted for them to break out of some kind of mold, some kind of script. Is it translating into a new major third party? No. I think I think you and I see this differently about Andrew Yang and the forward party. I, I feel very good about that. I feel very good about Andrew leaving the Democratic Party, telling his war stories about how corrupt the Democratic Party is, and going out there and recruiting tens of thousands of people all over the country. They have a huge amount of growing to do, and they have to figure out tactical ways to build that. But I think it's a good first step. Um, I also think you know the interest in open primaries has gone from virtually nothing 10 years ago to I'm now working in 20 states. I'm working with Democrats, Republicans, independents. We're working on ballot measures in South Dakota, 
in Nebraska, in Oklahoma. We're building a citizen campaign in Florida. Uh, there's a legislative effort in Pennsylvania and Rhode Island. And these things have real leaders, real uh, grassroots support. The polling shows like 80% of Americans want a fair level playing field. Um, we actually, this is interesting. We did some focus groups in Pennsylvania. Of, we did three separate focus groups of Democrats, Republicans, and independents. Just talking to them about open primaries. What do they think of the, the positives? What are the negatives? In all three, and they were independent, they weren't connected. A person in each of these poll, in each of these focus groups said, why can't we vote in the primaries the way we vote in the general election? We just vote for whoever we want. Why is that so complicated? And in some ways, to me, that's an expression of this emerging independent sensibility of people saying, why is the crap that the Democrats and Republicans tell us is the truth, reality, the way things are done? Why do we do it that way? Why can't we do it a different way? Who, you know, did Moses say this is how we have to, do, you know, do things? And I think that kind of basic, pragmatic, American, let's find a better way is popping up all over the country in ways I find, frankly, I think the American people are actually slightly ahead of the independent movement, of the third party movement, of the reform movement. And we have to catch up with them, not the other way around. Yep. I, I think that's right. And I think we, we share a lot of views and we disagree on some of the tactical stuff. But I think overall, yeah. I think there's this incredible historic moment. And um, with regard to Forward and Yang, you know, like I'm rooting for them because I'm rooting for alternatives. Um, they're just not my option, right? And I think for many people, especially that are more um, national security focused, like that come from the first responders community, I don't think it's a message that resonates. It just feels too liberal, frankly, right? And when it's run by Yang, I, th I think they're going to, I'm again, I'm rooting for them, but they're not strawberry to, to vanilla and chocolate. They're like Froyo. Like there's something totally different. And I think there are these other options that may come. And I think they're going to be strongest if they're led by a leader that people trust. Right. They trust to be independent or a leader with resources. We've seen everybody from, you know, Mike Bloomberg to Jesse Ventura. And I feel like the movement may be suffering from a candidate problem right now. And, and I want to know, you know, as you look across this country, um, we also see organizations that I think are giving the independent movement a bad name. You know, now is the time of year, the time of election cycle where no label says we might run a bipartisan ticket and people freak out. Right. And because they don't say who it's going to be. And we don't know if it's going to be Kirsten Cinema and Manchin or Bill Weld or any other variation. But it's this like straw man argument about what a third party option could do. And most of the polling says it would help Trump. But in the midst of all that, there seem to be leaders on the sidelines or there seem to be leaders rising up. We Last time we talked, we were watching Evan McMullen. Are there any independent leaders to watch? Um, you were at the convention you know, in Texas where I, I said I wasn't going to go because Tulsi Gabbard is there. She's trying to grab this independent mantra. Manchin's trying to do it now. Cinema's trying to do it right now. Who do you think are the top two or three people that are really going to resonate with the people that you feel are independent? Well, this is a tricky question, and this goes back to my my um, 
my, my warning about being cocky. Because I think that all of us are vulnerable to thinking, hey, we're 49% of the country. We're the biggest group of voters in the country. We should be attracting people like Colin Powell and, you know, Mark Cuban and these big shots with money and, and prestige from the mill. You know, we should be. And you know what? We're not. Right. We're not. And I'll tell you why. And this is not a knock against those people at all. If you go independent, and I'm talking someone like that, someone who's got a lot of things to lose, money, access, so forth and so on, you become a second-class citizen. You become marginalized. You get ridiculed. You get attacked. And we can't think that because we're 49% of the country that we have any power. We got no power. Why would a big shot go to a movement and say, I'm going to lead this movement of people with no power and it's going to cost me money, my reputation. I'm going to be ridiculed. I'm no longer invited to the cocktail parties. I mean, these people are big shots. And here, so, so in some ways, what I say, Paul, is that you, we should use that as a barometer. Mm-hmm how our movement is doing and it's why i will not criticize andrew yang because he has risked it and whether or not he turns out to be the transformational leader i don't care right people take a risk and say i'm giving up the cocktail party invites i'm going to be ridiculed by this and that i'm like go for it i love it but we in some ways we have to do the the harder work of building local committees infrastructure networks book clubs independent political learning centers i don't know you name it we've got to build hundreds of these things all over the country in red blue rural you know conservative liberal we have to build an independent movement and i think if we can start gaining some more power then the big shots are going to come and it's it'll be like a tsunami <laughs> we, we will be fighting them off because yeah. they will say, oh, I can now be an independent and I can I can lead a movement that's real. Yeah. Yeah. I think it I think at some levels it's a chicken and egg scenario and, and nobody wants to be first. I mean, I don't know if it was you or someone else I spoke to. And I said, like, who wants to be the first European soccer star to come over from M- for MLS? Right. Like Pele did it a couple decades ago and then Beckham did it. Right. But we can't get Messi. Right. We can't get Ronaldo. Right. And, and is there is there a, a first person? Right. Who maybe because it's an opportunity, maybe they see a state where you've got a right-wing person versus a left-wing person, and there's an opportunity for someone to split the difference in a ranked-choice voting state where they can actually win and break that and become the new leader of the movement. But I, I do go back to it because there is no power, but there is opportunity. And that's where, where cinema and mansion and others are playing with it constantly and playing with the power of that name of independence. But like right now, who have we got? We've got Yang, we've got... Uh, media figures like Smirkanich and Joe Walsh and leaders in the movement like you and others that are less well-known. But right now, there, there aren't too many well-known independents, especially for the younger generation, right, where we see a lot of, um, of folks declaring their independence. They don't want to join the parties. I don't see any 35-year-old rock star mayors or, or 35-year-old rock star governors that are saying, I'm going to be the face of the new independent movement, unless you see them. 
don't no, know. No, you don't. And, and let me just go back to your soccer analogy. Yeah. So look at, you know, when I, I played soccer my whole life. Yeah. When I was a kid in the 70s, all my coaches were people that had never played soccer. <laughs> they didn't know anything about soccer. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. So what, what's transformed? My nephews now, they play soccer on teams. One of my nephews just spent a week in Barcelona in an international tournament. He's on a Barcelona team coached by people from Barcelona in Chicago. Yeah. There has been over the last 30 years a transformation of the grassroots expression of soccer in this country. And not just boys, girls. I mean, in some ways, the girls leapfrogged over the boys and built that. And now, you know, we're starting to attract a level. And, and you know, it's it's transformed. The way we're going to get the, the Ronaldos and the Messis is to keep building the youth soccer, not by focusing on Ronaldo and Messi. Hmm. And I think it's the same thing for the independent movement. We have to build. We have to build organization at the local level. And it's hard work. It's messy. It's unsexy. It doesn't get any media. It doesn't get anything. But the more we can build that, I'm telling you, Paul, we don't have to worry about the big shots. They'll come mm. when they come. Yeah. I, I, I think, and I, I know you and I talk about this a lot. You and I yeah. talk about this a lot. There's also another way, which is a billionaire builds a stadium and goes gives gives Messi the money, right? And Messi comes, right? And and that's where you know whether it's a Mike Bloomberg or you know Elon Musk yeah. or whoever else. The, the other side of what you and I know is there's not much money in this space. So if you declare you're an independent, you're not going to get PAC money. You're not going to get grassroots money. You're not going to get you know media money like you would yeah. in some of the areas. But I do think we're at this moment where. If a, and you and I have talked about this a lot, uh, uh, you know, off the record, like I think there is an opportunity, especially for celebrities, for people from sports, for, for veterans and retired uh, generals and folks like that. If a couple of them can get together, I think we could see um, a, a new level of interest and, and, and motivation behind those independents. But let me ask you to take it to another side of this, which is kind of the maybe the more diabolical side. It, it's it's assumed right now that Trump's going to be by many the nominee uh, for the GOP, or he's at least leading in most areas, right? It looks like DeSantis is losing ground, um, but he may not be the GOP candidate. What do you think about if Trump decides to run as an independent, which it looks like he probably would do? He would just say, you know what, I'm running anyway. Um, what would that mean and would it set us back? Or if someone like Kirsten Sinema runs for, for as, as, a, as a, pre a presidential candidate, would that set us back as a movement? Well, you know, not to get too philosophical here, Paul, so it, you can shut me up at any point, but I, I, I think that's why, see, Trump could say, I'm now an independent. I'm running as an independent. Anybody can do that. Anybody can run as an independent. That's not the same thing as building the independent movement. Sure. They both have the word independent in them, but you know, there's no connection between those things automatically. Now, is there a scenario in which Donald Trump runs as an independent that could be beneficial to the creation of an independent movement? Yes, if Donald Trump wasn't Donald Trump. <laughs> right. like he was right. a different human being. He's incapable, in my estimation, I, and in some ways, maybe I'm wrong, he's incapable of doing anything other than representing himself. 
but could he get struck by lightning and change his personality completely and and say you know what i've been too divisive and i want to run as an independent because i think we need outsiders like me and all the outsiders liberal and conservative to come to get could he do that sure if he got struck by lightning or you know but but i think that's a that's an important question because you know, Jesse Ventura, I, I worked on his campaign back in 1994. I helped get him elected. I raised money for him. I, I was a fan. The worst thing that ever happened to the independent movement in Minnesota was that he got elected. Mm. The reason was not because he was a bad candidate. He was a phenomenal candidate. And Bill Hillsman ran a great campaign. And the people of Minnesota said, this Democrat stuffed shirt and this Republican stuffed shirt, screw him. We'll take the wrestler. Right. But then Jesse Ventura thought that he was in office in order to govern the state of Minnesota, not to continue to build a new political movement. He stopped building. Right, right. Whereas if he had got coming in second place, that would have been the best thing that could have happened to mm, him. Interesting. Yeah. So there, there's this, there is this very, you know, challenging. I, I honestly think the the last independent candidate that was fused with an independent movement was Ross Perot. Right. And that was everything to do with how he ran. Him getting on Larry King and saying, if you put me on the ballot, I'll run. If you, the American people, want it, I will do it. Other candidates tend to be, they don't trust the American people. They're like, here's what I'm doing. It's about me. Right. Rose said, this ain't about me. This is about you. If you want a different voice up there that's challenging the hypocrisy of these two parties, do it. And people said, we'll do it. And they did. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you to stick around for a couple of extra questions for our Patreon members. My, my thanks to them for supporting this work. Uh, and, and to many of you who've supported open primaries and you've been engaging in this conversation, I will never shut you up, John. I love having these discussions. I think the country needs to hear from you more often. I hope maybe we can do these quarterly where you check in and give us a sense of what's happening in, in the landscape. Is there a place that folks can look to, let's say, between now and the end of the summer, a hotspot where you would say, hey, folks, watch this place or a place where open primaries is working on something that will be pivotal between now and, let's say, the end of the summer? Yeah, I would say um, two places, Pennsylvania and Florida. Pennsylvania, we are getting all our ducks in a row to pass a bill to allow the the, the million independents to vote in primaries. We just did, uh, our local team there just did a great piece of research, which is still in draft phase, but I've read the draft of it. They did the work that these pollsters should be doing. They said, who are the independents in Pennsylvania? Who are they? And they, you know, it's a 40 page report on who they are. The other thing in Florida, we're launching a campaign. It should be up and running by mid-May uh, called Florida Open Primaries to challenge the write-in loophole, which basically Florida has open primaries, but it's only in races in which all the candidates are from one party, which you'd think would be a rarity. Happens about 25% of the time there's no Democrats in the race or no Republicans. Mm -hmm. And the way they've closed the primaries is they they run phony write-in candidacies in order to reclose the primaries. And the Democrats do this and the Republicans do this and they've been doing it for 20 years. It is a level of fraud that is uh, a, a, an indictment of the two mm -hmm. parties. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna, we're gonna blow it out of the water. 
So, it, you know, mid-May, go to Florida open primaries. We think this campaign could be a real, a real barn burner because we're going, we're going after the hypocrisy of both political parties and we're going to put them on trial and see if we can change the law. I love it. And when I hear you talk, it makes me hope that you will one day run as an independent. Until then, I think we've got to look around the landscape in Florida and see who we can find. In Pennsylvania, we had Rocky Blyer on this show, and we've all seen Rocky Blyer. I think that's the kind of person that could you know, be merged with a movement and really be competitive um, because he's so well-known and so well-trusted. Anybody who heard him on this show understands what I'm talking about. But your voice is so important, John. You're a great patriot. You've been a great mentor and friend to me, and you're just doing tireless, important, critical work every day. Thank you for all you're doing out there. Big shout out to the whole team and everybody out there in the States who are doing the good work. Everybody go to open primaries and support everything that John Updike does. He's 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 on the he's on the on the wall for all of us in the independent movement, and he'll stay there until the job is done. Thank you, John. Thanks, Paul. Stay vigilant, my friend. John's the real deal, and he will give you reason to have hope this spring, and he's an example of how the helpers are out there. John's out there laying the seeds, caring for the crops, even when the weather is bad, when the rains are sparse, when the wildfires come through. John Opdyke is out there for all of us. Check out his work at openprimaries.org, and I'll link to it in the show notes. But understand that this spring, winter, summer, and fall, John and his crew are truly a team of helpers. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. All right, all spring and summer and fall and winter long, check out the hashtag, look for the helpers on Twitter, and share yours with me. I want to see them. Give me some hope. Share with me something that you've seen that gives you reason to have hope this spring, because if we look for the helpers, we see that they are out there. And here's a good one that our friend Grace from Buffalo, New York, flagged for me on Twitter. We do hope we don't set off the fire. On Sunday morning, more than 3,000 families in Davidson, Davie, and Yadkin counties received a letter notifying them their medical debts had been forgiven completely. So the members of Trinity Moravian Church in North Carolina purchased nearly $3.3 million of the medical debt for local residents for just $15,048. Then they held a debt jubilee ceremony and burned up all the debt, canceling it all. That's what you're hearing there. This isn't the first time that Trinity Moravian has canceled their neighbor's debts. Last year, they canceled $1.65 million worth of debt for 1,356 people in Forsyth and Davidson counties. And a bunch of cities are also doing the same thing now, including Cleveland, New Orleans, and Chicago. They're partnering up with a group called RIP Medical Debt, RIP Medical Debt, to buy up and cancel medical debt. Check them out online at ripmedicaldebt.org. You can follow them on Twitter at ripmedicaldebt.org. But they say they are dedicated to erasing medical debt across America, 
And you can join their donors who have helped them relieve over $8.5 billion in medical debt and counting. They are helpers. So check them out. They're planting hope all across America this spring. And while you're on social media this spring, please join me and play Guess the Guest every Wednesday night. I did it last night before I dropped this show, and I'll try to do it every Wednesday night. I know that Grace and Delfino Sanchez and lots of others will join me there and give it a shot. I didn't do it last week because I was on vacation. More on that in a second. But get on board and join them every Wednesday and play guest to guest. And also, of course, go to independentamericans.us where you can listen to or watch every conversation we've had. You can also get some merch and find our latest press releases, our latest media hits, and lots of other stuff that will give you hope this spring. You can also help us spread hope this spring by joining our Patreon community. That's a crew of people that are dedicated to supporting this show, connecting with others, and keeping the movement growing. So shout out to all our Patreon members, including our newest patron, Omar Salon, who lives all the way down in Colombia. Not the city, the country. So welcome to Omar, and a big shout out to all our listeners in Colombia and all across South America, where it's not really spring right now, it's I think the cloudy season, but I hope this show brings you some light too, as your winter time approaches. But thanks to all of our Patreon members, and for more light, tune in every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern to News Nation with Marty Hughes. I do a weekly segment over there where I focus on national security, vets, and political news. And if you miss it, I will always post it on independentamericans.us and on our social. Let me know what you think of that segment and anything else we're doing. Hit me up on all the social media platforms, and please subscribe, share, and do all the things that help keep this movement growing. We continue to burn up the podcast charts all around the world, not only in Colombia, but we are also still holding strong in Azerbaijan at number 60 and at number 187 in Vietnam. This show continues to spread all around the world and all around the country, including where I was last week on spring break in Florida, where, as you heard in the last episode, we got five days of hurricane wind and cold weather while it was tropical and 85 and sunny back home in New York City. But we made the most of it. We got some amazing days of sun on the beach in the beginning and at the end. We got to pet some stingrays. We ate a lot of pancakes. We did an Easter egg hunt on the beach. We played some very cool old school video games. And my wife and I saw Air, the new movie about Nike and Michael Jordan that I highly recommend. I think it's absolutely and completely fantastic. And I can't wait for my boys to be old enough to see it and appreciate it. Big shout out to my friend Matt Damon, who is in that film and is a driving force behind it. And also big shout out to my friend Mike O'Neill, who has a part in that movie. Uh, Mike and I met on the filming of The Green Zone with Matt Damon back in the day. And I just can't say enough good things about that film. And also, I got to see Air at an iPick. And I love iPick. It's really great. If you've never been, they have waiters who bring you drinks and food and really nice chairs. But I have one bone to pick with iPick. Everyone I've been to has a bathroom that's really far away, like two floors away. So what is up with the bathrooms being so far away? If you want to really give me a luxury movie experience, give me a bathroom in the theater where I can still hear and watch the movie while I use the bathroom. That would be amazing, but that hasn't happened. But there was a lot to enjoy about Florida. There's also lots of things about Florida that DeSantis hasn't screwed up yet. Maybe most of all, the beaches and the water, which when they're great, are really great. And I was actually in the water this weekend 
when a bull shark paid a visit. That was interesting. I was about 100 meters out. The water was pretty shallow. A bunch of people were running and pointing, and I thought a kid had gone under. And what actually happened was a shark was in the water. I got out. Everyone got out. All was safe. But it was a good reminder that vacation is all about adventure. And you never know when a bull shark might pay a visit. Anyway, it's sort of never a vacation when you have little kids. Maybe even less than normal times because they don't go to school. But vacation reminds me that traveling is good and any kind of change is good. Like Jimmy Buffett used to say, change of latitude, change of attitude. Now, it's back to work, but my mentor Les Gelb was right. Take vacation or you get stupid. It's really true. It helps keep the hope alive. And that's what spring break, especially with kids, can remind you of. Traveling also showed me that all kinds of people can get along on the beach or in the kiddie pool or in the hot tub. I met folks that were clearly Republicans, clearly Democrats, and clearly neither But vacation can change people's attitudes. And so can spring. And so can independence. So this spring especially, remember that independents are the future. And we're not alone in our independence. America may be more divided than ever. And we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are working to add light, to contrast the heat of all the other shows out there this spring. And if you're among that almost 50% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. And our independent movement is hope for the future. And hope springs eternal. Country over party, people over politics, light over heat, disrupting the status quo and fueling a new movement that spans all across our society. And now is bigger than anything else. Our movement is growing. And I hope you enjoyed this episode with John Updike. If you did, please share it far and wide and invite others to declare their independence this spring. And stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And it makes the hope grow. And it feeds our future. And know you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant. And we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. Happy spring. And stay vigilant, America. Media.